All right, welcome to the conversation. Uh, let's have a conversation about whether the left wing is gonna win the future. Now, normally I'm super optimistic about that. These days though, um, I need someone to help explain to me where the left is. And so we brought on Michael Levitin here, who might be just the guy. He's a journalist professor and author of the new book, Generation Occupy, Reawakening American Democracy. Uh, and uh, Michael, it's good to have you on. Uh, you've caught me on a bit of a cranky day. Uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna come in with some skepticism and let's see how we sort this out. So uh, what do you mean by Generation Occupy? Uh, well, let's start there. Generation Occupy, um, well, as people have recognized, many have not, but uh, this is the 10 year anniversary. Uh, it was in September when Zuccotti Park was formally taken over as an encampment by people who launched Occupy Wall Street. You know, I see um, after following the trends that took off, Occupy the movement only lasted really several months in the public eye, that it was visible. Then the camps were cleared and we all know the story, it sort of disappeared. Um, almost into thin air. And most people, really a lot of people, Americans didn't look or, or see or think about the movement very much uh, more after that. Um, it left us with the language of the 99%, right? It gave us the crisis of inequality, it put it on the map for the public. And that's what most people recognize. My story attempts to chart the dramatic and really um, quite quite remarkable last decade that we've just gone through um, the the first the, the second half of Obama's presidency and of course um, the Trump presidency, but the social movements that emerged in this period and the the radically aggressive demands that became much more mainstream after Occupy and and Bernie Sanders and people on the left voiced these once fringe demands um, that have now become progressive priorities that are in the mainstream conversation. And they're what are being uh, fought over in the reconciliation bill for trillions of dollars right now in Congress. This right. generation of protesters and activism is what I referred to uh, that Occupy ignited uh, and that we've seen flourish in a decade since. Have we though, that, so that's where my skepticism comes in. So on the one hand, yeah, I'm Totally familiar with all of the changes that has that has happened. Occupy Wall Street was great. I covered it there, and and I even launched Wolfpack there to get money out of politics. And but I also attended the meetings, and the left loves picking each other apart. And and so now some of those things became popular. The the you know the policy proposals that came out of it, but at the same time, it has not anything to actually get them into law. So we're still getting mauled in Congress, we're getting mauled in the media. And I know that the younger generation is very progressive. I talk about it all the time on the show and I'm thrilled about that. But honestly, I don't even see them anymore. So like, okay, where where's the army behind AOC and the Just Democrats and demanding this or demanding that? We're trying, you know, I, I, we on the on TYT pushed for $15 minimum wage to be included in the COVID relief bill. But where where is Generation Occupy? I see the right wing everywhere, right? And just where are they? Where where where's the the younger generation that's supposed to come and be the cavalry? They're coming for you this weekend, Cenk, I promise it. Uh, no, listen, I think that um, clearly the coronavirus, clearly, clearly the end of the Trump era and what we saw in 2020 with the George Floyd protests, 
I think that if you didn't see it then, then you must not have been looking. I think that what we saw in 2020, this coming together of the economic inequality argument that Occupy made a decade ago, really joining with the racial inequality and injustice argument. We saw tens of millions of people in the streets making demands for systemic reform. That is not going away, that generation is here to stay. What we have with the climate protests, we didn't see them recently at the COP26, at least not in America. But the previous year, just before the coronavirus, you saw millions of young people taking to the streets as part of the global climate strikes. And right here in America, usually the rest of the world protests and Americans kinda sit tight. This generation showed up for those climate strikes. They showed up for the March for Our Lives, which is still a vibrant movement demanding gun reforms and sensible. No, well, but Michael, I, mean, I gotta push back. Again, I'm on your side, sure. I, I desperately want this to be true. And uh, and I know that the numbers are there, I see the polling, I'm not idiot corporate media, right? And so uh, at the same time, uh, so March for Our Lives, we got zero gun reform. And, zero, like, and when Congress does nothing about it, there's no pushback, there's no rage, there's no nothing. Uh, and so, you know, climate change, it's, you know, that's doing better than the rest, but it's about to get killed and build back better in the Senate. Uh, then, George Floyd, you're indisputably correct that there was massive protests, not just the young, but a lot of uh, Americans now can't, you know, sick of how black people are being treated by cops in this country. But zero police reform uh, in the Senate, uh, killed by. Republicans and idiot corporate Democrats and no pushback, nothing. Where are they? Hey, <laughs> the crystal ball, where is it? I, I wish as much as anyone, I, I, I would like to see. And one thing to, to have some hope or a sense that where are they? Movements start out of seemingly nowhere often. The Arab Spring started by one man self-immolating, lighting himself on fire in Tunisia, a vegetable vendor that set off an entire wave of of uprisings and revolutions that led to the indignados and movements in Spain that led to Occupy Wall Street. Things can emerge in some unpredictable moment, but you're very right that right now feels like a real ebbing and where are the protesters? They were out by the millions, but then as you say, our leaders in Congress fail to act. But just wait and see how long they will be able to fail to act when 70, 80, 85% of the US public is behind these measures that they refuse to pass, say, in this no, reconciliation No, but Michael, bill. again, let's keep it real, brother. That, that's where we are yeah. now, 75 to 80% on most of progressive priorities. On lowering drug prices, right. it's 88%, nine out of 10 Americans want it. And then Manchin and Cinema go, no, our donors don't want it. We're corrupt and we took bribes from the drug companies and everybody goes away. There's, nobody's fighting for it, it's done. I, I think that they're, look at. The generation that came out of Occupy has learned a lot of things. The, Occupy was this wonderfully beautiful, original, but really chaotic and, and, and kind of finally self-defeating movement, right? We all saw that. It didn't want structure, it didn't want plans or policies. But the generation that came out of it 
organized and many of the movements like take the sunrise movement, for example, the essentially driving the climate movement for Gen Z and the younger people who really did put forward a green new deal that AOC brought to Congress. Just because our short sighted Congress people and senators can't pass these measures that are so sensible and which will rejuvenate our economy, build our green energy transition, all these really intelligent ideas. That's their problem, but you're right. This new generation is gonna have to step up. I think they're in the process of trying to figure out um, having restructured themselves, they grew from Occupy. The same people who were at Occupy Wall Street helped shepherd in this new generation by teaching them to make more concrete policy reforms, strategic movement building, having a blueprint for what you wanna achieve in the real policy realm and going and doing it. Now, the fact that they haven't yet done it means you're right. There's gonna need to be an escalation because if they're not listening to what the people demand, then the people need to figure out a new way of forcing them to listen. Occupy Wall Street was this original call to action, right? Occupying parks, you didn't hear us, the 1%. We're out of work, we're in college debt, we're gonna occupy. And maybe something like that or something dramatic, mass strikes, shutdowns, Marches uh, that get the public's attention are going to be needed now. Yeah, people talk about a general strike. People talk about a general strike. That ain't going to happen. I, I think that that's super interesting. Uh, it made a giant difference in Egypt in, in their revolution. Uh, but who the hell's going to organize a general strike? Uh, who, with whose army? So, uh, Michael, my point is, and it, it, once you get past the, the you know the the grumpiness today. Uh, but it's justified, it's justified, right? Is it there is. is, we're all outraged. Right, but there is a reason why, there is a reason why people aren't in the streets. Because we have no leadership. And and by the way, at, at I saw at Occupy, anytime a leader stepped up, everybody else wanted to tear him down, right? Or tear her down. Uh, because, oh, why are you the leader? Oh, maybe I should be the leader. And so uh, there are some leaders, by the way, I, you know, you talk about the guy who self-immolated in Tunisia. I've self-immolated 17 times to try to get people to fight, fight. And what happens? Other left-wingers come in and attack and go, "Oh no, but you did it the wrong way, and you were slightly rude." And NPR told me to whisper, and over and over again. We need, don't we need a populist leader to say, "Right now, I want you to go and and protest, surround Congress. Don't be like the idiot right-wingers and actually break in or do violence." But God. Damn it, we need paid family leave. We need lower drug prices. We need $15 minimum wage. Right now, as elected officials, I don't see a single one doing that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I mean, you see, well, uh, Cori Bush, she went out and slept on the steps to demand, you know, she she did several nights sleeping out on congressional steps. I think the AOCs and the more radical, the, the anti-corporate, the real progressive generation of new Democrats. Uh, really would be ready for that. And they know that they need that. I think the new generation of younger elected leaders know that you need a movement behind you to force those policies into into uh, into reality. But I very much agree. I don't know why, um, I'm not quite sure. I think that this identity politics moment we're in, the culture wars, the, the, the fact that the left really still manages to be really expert at kind of eating away at itself, as you say, and tearing itself apart by by sort of a purity 
you know, everything's got to be speaking to everyone all at once. And if anyone feels somewhat slighted, you know, the project is is doomed somehow, and the right wing media gets a hold of it. Um, it's really a moment in which the left needs to reexamine itself. But the purpose of what I wanted to tell in this story is a hopeful story because we have seen growth, we have grown and emerged from this Occupy era less disorganized and unstructured than before. We might not have the answers, the new movement clearly, the new generation has to figure out new techniques, new skills. But they're so adept at technology, they know really how to organize intuitively and do it in a way that sort of speaks to their generational desperation for change, yeah. whether it's climate, student debt, healthcare. That I do have confidence that they're gonna find a new, it's not in the streets right now, it should be, you're right, congressional, yeah. Juggling and this this circus act where they don't actually yeah. get anything done no. should be bringing out the masses. And but I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen soon. So yeah, uh, well, you know. look, they, they, for God's it's, sake, somebody's got to do it, okay? And if there's is there's somebody else the leader, great, support them, don't tear them down, okay? So and look, I we're out of time, but I, I got to say, corporate Democrats <laughs> did a brilliant job of co-opting progressives in this last go around, okay? They brought him in, Biden did this BS transition thing, and he brought the Sunrise Movement in, and AOC in, and all these people. And it was always a trick, and I told him, it's an ambush, it's an ambush, right? They walk right into it, and then at the end, Biden and Pelosi pulled a rug out and go, ah, psych, we're not doing any of those things. What would you have the, the, the progressives and the climate generation do? I mean, they fight got their the corporate, the Fight the corporate Democrats, fight the corporate media. But do not go into their ambushes and go, Oh, I guess there was nothing we could do. We should surrender to Mansion and Cinema. No, say Mansion and Cinema are corrupt. They take money from drug companies and oil companies. Those are bribes. Say it for God's sake, AOC, Bernie, whoever. I don't care who it is. Corey Bush did a great job on the steps. I love that. I love that. Do more. You see how it worked? It's not complicated. When you take action and you demand concessions from power, you get it. If you don't demand, from power, you won't get it. It's not like we figured this out. Frederick Douglass figured it out. Everybody's figured it out. And but we never asked for concessions from power. So for everyone who's watching, who's young, who's on the left, do not listen to people in power. Go rise up right now. And yes, it's okay to have leaders. Pick one of you as the leader. I don't care who. I don't care. Just and go out there and Demand concessions from power. Do not ask, do not plead. And when the media yells at you, tell them to shut up. We don't care about you on CNN or New York Times or NPR. You are not our allies. You've never been our allies. God damn it, get in the fight. That's what you need. Okay, sorry. There you go. <laughs> okay. I think you needed my to tell people that. All right, nice look, uh, Michael. You're brilliant. I appreciate you coming on. And by the way, he also wrote the Cochabamba Water Wars about them for the Bolivian Times. I wish we could talk about that another time. Fortunately, we're out of time here. But make sure you check out the book, Generation Occupy, Reawakening American Democracy, because God knows it needs reawakening. Michael, thank you for coming on and putting up with me. All right, Jen, good. Onward to the to the frontier, to the to the barricade. We to go. the barricades, Thank for you. God's sake, finally. All right, back on the conversation. So now, of course, Republicans are planning to burn down the country. It's about a specific issue, we'll explain. And Democrats are planning to do very little about it. So 
<laughs> Welcome to America. Uh, it's a regular uh, day uh, here. Uh, so this one's about the debt ceiling. We brought on Ben Wink here. Uh, he's an economy reporter at Insider we've talked to before. Uh, he's written about this, we'll talk to him about it. Ben, welcome back. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. No problem. So Republicans are uh, playing chicken with the debt ceiling. Uh, it's mental, uh, it's uh, been raised 78 times. Uh, not raising it would be a catastrophe. Uh, and the Democrats, uh, as usual, are feckless and have no idea how to fight back. So that's your summary. Uh, but first, uh, the things that you had in your article about what Moody says would happen if they do not raise the debt ceiling. Uh, and just for the folks at home, real quick, the debt ceiling is, uh, hey, we owe this money. We, by law, it can only have this much debt. So we need to raise it because we already spent the money. So we should pay our debts. Otherwise, the dollar won't have the full faith and credit and it'll be a disaster. But Moody's explains the disaster. So Ben, what did they say would happen if we don't raise the debt ceiling? Yeah, so a couple months back, back when we were in the same position um, with the, the same action taking place between Democrats and Republicans, Moody's came out with these estimates that said, well, first off, um, hitting the debt ceiling without raising it, suspending it, just crashing through that limit, um, it would wipe out around $15 trillion in household wealth through assets, right? Stocks, bonds, um, financial markets would just plummet. I mean, it would be, they said that stocks would fall about a third before they start to, to stabilize and, and maybe move back up. Um, and then also you have to keep in mind that the, the economic recovery is far from over. We are not fully healed yet. And Moody said, you know, if we, if we hit this ceiling, if we burst through this cap, um, the economic turmoil that would that would occur would wipe out around six million jobs. So that would really put us way back um, as far as the labor market recovery. It would cost American families, households trillions of dollars. I mean, this is the worst case scenario, um, especially when you consider you know we are just kind of getting back onto the horse with uh, with hiring, with uh, consumer spending. So Ben. I People gotta ask at home, why? Why would all those catastrophic things happen? By the way, not a good sign for our economy that if you do one little thing wrong, $15 trillion and six million jobs are gonna disappear overnight. A bit of a house of cards, but that's a slightly separate topic. In terms of the why, I think most people don't know why. Why would that catastrophe happen? So the US dollar is is the world's reserve currency, right? Other countries, um, corporations, people around the world rely on the dollar to be stable. And that stability is, is built on the foundation that the US will always repay its debts. It always has, and, and that consistency, that stability is why the dollar is so strong, why it has this reputation globally. The moment the US does, you know, hits the debt ceiling, exceeds it, and then throws the the country, the government into default, that immediately erodes that that bulletproof reputation the dollar has. And you can't get that back, right? You can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. Once you do that, that's done. Immediately borrowing costs will skyrocket, right? Because the dollar just doesn't have the relevance internationally. Other countries might look for a different reserve currency. The US will lose that, that economic power from its currency because it's just not as dependable as it used to be. So that translates to, you know, for for you know, everyday Americans, that translates to higher borrowing costs for for car loans, for mortgages. Uh, if you miss a credit card payment, you're going to be paying more in interest. Um, 
Uh, service members, if you hit the debt ceiling, they won't receive compensation. Federal workers won't receive uh, paychecks. Social security checks won't go out. I mean, this would really affect everybody. Yeah, let me add to that explanation. Everybody knows the saying, the rich get richer, right? But there's a part of a reason why they do, right? Because, so for example, when Elon Musk borrows money based on his stock portfolio, Ben, everybody knows that he's got enough money to cover that loan so he can get it at a really low interest rate, right? Whereas if you're poor and you really need money in an emergency, you gotta go to a payday loan and that charges you several hundred percent interest rate. I mean, it, it way, way, way higher, literally 100 times higher than what Elon Musk has to pay. And so when we uh, go past the debt ceiling, basically we're declaring that we're a banana republic and we, we might not pay our debts. So then people then turn around and charge us really high interest rates because they say, well, now you're not, it's not safe to put our money in, in America. Apparently you guys are clowns and might not pay us back. Is, is that a fairly decent explanation of it? I think it's a fair way to put it, and you have to realize, you know, the the damage or the uh, eroding at the reputation of the dollar can happen before we even hit the debt ceiling. Uh, we came pretty close back in in the uh, Obama years, and even getting close to hitting the debt ceiling, right, within a few uh, days, that can start to shake financial markets. That can start to uh, lead people to to think maybe the U.S can get closer to default than we thought before. The fact that they're getting this close makes me lose confidence in the dollar. And yeah. so that that's, that cycle, that spiral starts to happen before you even hit the debt ceiling. Yeah, so Ben, if we're being honest about it, obviously the Republicans are maniacs for even proposing this. It's This is not about new spending. They're saying, why don't we just do like Donald Trump does and go, I just don't wanna pay my debts, right? So. Like every reporter knows they're lunatics, right? But but you can't call them lunatics because oh well, you know, neutrality and all that stuff. So, but the Democrats could call them lunatics, but they don't. What the hell's wrong with them? So you have a quote in here where Sherrod Brown, supposed to be like big, strong, progressive senator, this is he asked the Republicans, why not just do what presidents of both parties and leaders of both parties in the House and Senate have done in the past? So you might say, what's wrong with that quote? Well. What are you pleading with the Republicans for? Why isn't the quote that Sherrod Brown is giving you and the other reporters is the Republicans are raging lunatics who are threatening to destroy the American economy? Isn't that the Republicans do that to the Democrats all the time? Is that kind of unbalanced playing field partly encouraging and emboldening Republicans to play chicken with our economy because they think these schmuck Democrats can't fight back, so we might as well just do whatever the hell we want? You know, I think part of it is is also the fact that Democrats still really want to to do this, solve this problem in a bipartisan way. Why? They could can I just can I ask Ben? I, 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 you know, I, I think because they hold on to the semblance of oh, we can solve things in a bipartisan manner, maybe more than Republicans do. I mean, you look at the infrastructure bill, that was something that, that was passed through a bipartisan, uh, in a bipartisan way. Maybe they're clutching onto that. Um, nah, I think no, Ben, I'll tell you what's going on. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Uh, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, there's no, you're absolutely right. The Democrats want to be bipartisan. It's not because, they, like, I called them idiots while you were talking, but it's it's not just that they're stupid. It's that they're they're they they have the same donors. They have the same donors as the Republicans. So they, if you 
But they have the whole Senate, they have the whole House, they have the presidency. They don't need the Republicans at all. Republicans never, ever ask the Democrats to come along. They never help the Democrats by saying, let's do this in a bipartisan way so you can get credit too. You'd have to be a schmuck, an idiot in politics to do that. But the Democrats do ask Republicans for permission because in reality, Ben, they're asking their donors for permission, aren't they? It's, you kind of get the same thing with, I think, the SALT uh, state and local tax um, deduction. That's It's a similar deal where you're starting to see that you know, Democrats do have some really you know, big money interests as well. Um, and that's where you start to see some fraying, right? Bernie is coming out and saying, wait a second, we're not the party you know, trying to pass these tax cuts for the rich. Um, and so there, that is at play, right? You do have some splits within the Democratic Party. Um, and, and some people are more outspoken about it. Others will, will pipe down and, and try to, again, uh, uphold that bipartisanship. Um, but I think it's important to, to remember that we were in this same problem just two months ago. Um, Republicans caved at the last minute. McConnell came out with a, uh, with a last minute extension of two months. Here we are now, we're gonna hit the debt ceiling estimated on uh, December 15th. Um, and both sides are saying the same thing. Um, Republicans are, are not gonna give them, or at least according to us, um, Minority Leader McConnell, they're not gonna give that same kind of extension. Democrats still wanna do it in a bipartisan way, but they can do this through reconciliation, right? There is an avenue for them to do this on their own. Um, and they're hinting that that's not out of the cards. But, but why wouldn't yeah, you just now, do that? No, Ben, this, none of this, make, this is so silly. First of all, the, the Republicans are clearly bluffing. They have the same donors as the Democrats. There's no way their donors are gonna let them burn $15 trillion of wealth. That is not gonna happen, okay? So the only way that the Republicans would risk doing that is if we're in the Trump era and they're saying, you know, yeah, we burn down the economy and we blame it on Biden. So we could take over and do a full fascist takeover, right? That would be the only reason they would do it. And the only reason they would do it is because they're so emboldened by democratic weakness that they think these idiots will never ever fight back. We could burn the whole economy to the ground and then blame it on Biden and they'll easily believe us, easily, right? So that's the only reason why anybody would ever contemplate this. So does anybody ever ask the Democrats, Hey, schmucks, they're threatening to burn down the country and you wanna work with them? Like, seriously, how does that make any sense? I was on the Hill this week, I was asking them pretty much that. I said, you know, why not? You've heard from Republicans, they've said, we're not gonna give you this break again and we're not gonna join you on this. And I asked them, why not do this through, you have the avenue, right? You can do this through reconciliation. And they said, you know, they're saying, we're exploring all options. The problem is the clock is ticking. Reconciliation, if they do that, is going to take a few weeks, um, and so they don't have that much time. I think, you know, I, I've pushed this with them. They just say we're talking about it, we're figuring out a plan, <laughs> and it's it's still the same the same stagnation that we saw last time. They're talking while Rome burns. All right, last thing, Ben. Uh, do the Republicans want some sort of concession? Like, so I can see how this game of chicken is played. It would make sense to me if the donors want something, the Republicans ask for it and go, oh, we'll be really mean, they're the bad cops. And the Democrats are the good cops, Oh, golly gee, there was nothing we could do. And so we had to give it to them in order to get the debt ceiling in return. So is that the case? Are the Republicans even asking for anything? You know, the, the thing that sparked, uh, there, it was never, you know, 
Mitch McConnell never came out and said this, um, but it wasn't until Democrats threatened to get rid of the filibuster and and do the debt ceiling on their own without you know, after getting rid of the filibuster, or at least carving out part of the filibuster to do that, that he said, well, wait a second, you know, I can do this extension. Um, that's that's just the, how it happened, chronological events. Um, and so I think there that might be the uh, you know the stick that Democrats can use. Um, obviously, Republicans want to stop the the Build Back Better plan uh, as much as they can. We saw that with um, uh, McCarthy's speech. I think that was last night. Yeah, um, eight hours. Uh, eight hours. Clearly, they want to scrap that. Um, and so that might be what they're trying to do. You know, if they can get any sort of you know, oh, we you shrink the bill or, or cut something out. Maybe that's what they want. They definitely don't want Democrats to touch the filibuster. That is for certain. Yeah, no, de- Democrats or a Democratic leadership is obviously either corrupt or maniacally stupid. Because if you actually wanted to get rid of the filibuster so you can pass your entire agenda, this would be a perfect opportunity. You would say they're gonna burn the country down and cost six million jobs. I'm not gonna let them cost six million jobs. Filibuster's done. We pass the debt ceiling, we pass voting rights, and we move forward. But they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. So, Ben, if you're talking to those Democrats, ask them why they're such liars. It's so obvious they could get rid of the filibuster and pass their agenda, but they don't want their own agenda. They should admit on the record, because if they get rid of the filibuster, they can have their own agenda. They're choosing not to have their own agenda, including the debt ceiling. So. Republicans, we get it, they're monsters. Democrats, you should challenge them on being liars. Uh, okay, thank you for putting up with me. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Ben writes it, insider, articles have excellent information, that's why we have them on, and good analysis. Thank you so much, Ben, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, have a good night. You too.